Well, good morning, friends. And as you can see, we're getting into the Christmas spirit here in the Doherty household. This is an old friend of mine, this crib. I grew up with and uh, it was always my parents home at Christmas and it brings back such wonderful memories to me of the wonder of being a child at Christmas and uh, I guess at this time of year we think back to a lot of years gone by but I wonder what we'll be thinking about when we look back on 2020 because it's turned out so much different perhaps to what we all would have thought a year ago. Perhaps it would have been better if we had saved all those New Year messages on 2020 vision until the end of the year because once again it seems that hindsight is the only 2020 vision that most of us get right. Think of all the plans we had a year ago for 2020. The more ambitious we were I guess the more plans we would have had which means that the more frustrated this last nine months we would have been. It has been one of the most frustrating times and for many most tragic of times as well. When I look back over my life the times that have most uh, been frustrating and uh, fearful are those when my plans don't appear to have worked out. But yet also looking back, you know, the greatest blessings have come into my life in ways I never planned. Uh, they came by the grace of God. I remember thinking again this week how I met my wife in London when we were both students at the veterinary college there and meeting Nicola changed the whole course of my life and continues to do so. But I had no plans. I never had any plans to go to London. My plan had always been to follow my father's footsteps and to study in Dublin. And I didn't quite get the grades that were required. So in the summer of uh, 1982, I was all set to prepare to repeat a year. But the phone rang and at the 11th hour, I was offered an interview at the Royal Veterinary College. And the deal was if I impressed them at the interview, I could get in. Now, I hope that this morning I'm speaking slowly enough for you to understand me. And if I am, then you have those nice people in London to thank for that. Because when I got there, I discovered that everybody there appeared to speak at about half the speed that we speak in Zeri. And so it meant that at the interview, uh, I actually had much more time to actually think about what I was going to say, which is an unusual experience for me. And it worked. And so within weeks, uh, instead of traveling to live in Dublin, where I had lots of relatives um, to rely on for help, I ended up coming off the train on the Euston Road in London and stepping into a city of 10 million people and I didn't know a soul. I felt totally out of my depth. But with 2020 hindsight, I can now see that I wasn't as alone as I thought I was. For as the proverb says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You know, as Christians, I think that we declare all the time uh, God's word and his spirit are our guide and our comfort. Yet it's only when our best laid plans appear to die that perhaps we really get to see, as the Apostle Paul put it, how much we were depending on ourselves rather than God who raises the dead. I wonder how much of what we call living by faith has actually become living by our plans and asking God to bless them rather than letting our plans die and see what he raises up from their death. You know, for the last nine months, almost nothing has gone to plan. And now we find ourselves at the one time of year that requires the most planning, Christmas. Perhaps this year, more than most, is an opportunity to rediscover Christmas and so rediscover life as all about his plans and not ours, and how immeasurably more he can do in our lives than we have asked or imagined or planned. After all, 
For Mary and Joseph, you know, uh, those nine months they had not planned at all brought them immeasurably more than they ever asked or imagined or planned. And I take great comfort from the fact that even in the last hours of those nine months, nothing appeared to be going to plan. Let me share with you one of my favorite verses in the Bible, which you may find really strange. It's found in the midst of a passage beginning in Luke chapter 2 from verse 6. And it says this, While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were very frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, mega joy for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ Jesus the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared around the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, and they're all saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now I love those verses, and, uh, and some translations say, While Mary was there, the time came. And how poignant is that phrase, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The time came. Whose time came? His time came. You know, if you're a believer listening to me this morning, there was a day in your life too, when you were busy with all your plans and purposes, when suddenly into your life, his time came. And his arrival changed everything. For now your life entered his time. You know, the verse that strangely comforts me, especially in a world where all my plans so often are frustrated, is actually that verse in verse 7, where it says she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him in cloths, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, one day I would love to ask Mary, what went through your mind? You who were told that you're about to give birth to the Son of God, and then Joseph tells you that apparently God has forgotten to book you a room on the most important night of your life. You know, whenever some mystifying and deeply disappointing thing happens to me in life, whenever I'm thinking, God, that could have gone so much better, where were you? I always remember this verse. And I remember that when Mary walked away from that nice warm inn into the dark, cold night, the Lord was with her. Remember, on the day when all your plans and hopes for the future appear to go into the grave, you have a God who raises the dead and his spirit lives in you. Believer, there never would have been room in that inn for all the witnesses that needed to come that night to Christ's birth. In that inn, Jesus could never have been assigned to the shepherds for he wouldn't have been wrapped in the cloths that they would have recognized as what they wrapped the baby lambs in, the male lambs that were destined for uh, to die at Passover for the sins of the people. So instead of being born in a place and in a manner that men had expected, in a clean palace full of light, the King of Kings was born in the unexpected and the unplanned for place, in the dark and in the dirt. And for that is why he came, to shine in the darkness and in the dirt, and by his presence alone make such places holy ground. You see, this morning I want to declare with all of my heart the joy of the gospel that the Lord makes his way into our lives not when we have made ourselves ready to receive him. 
not when we through good planning or good living have made our lives a clean enough place to receive him not when we are at our strongest but rather his time comes in our lives when we are at our weakest and in this way we discover that he never expected nor wanted us to be strong enough of ourselves for him but to discover that life as he knows life has never been of ourselves but has always been ever found in union with him it is not our preparation that makes our lives holy it is his presence it is not our preparation that makes our lives holy it is his presence let me tell you something that will lift a great burden off your life God is not asking you to produce a holy life for him the angel did not ask Mary to produce a child rather he told her that she would bear a child by the power of the Holy Spirit it is religion that will exhort you to produce a life for God but the gospel of God's grace reveals that it is not by our doing that we are in Christ Jesus but by his doing listen to the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians and let them refresh your soul in this year when all of our best laid plans to make ourselves worthy of a visitation from God have been postponed or cancelled is this not exactly the right time to consider our calling brothers and sisters that there were not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the insignificant things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no human may boast before God you see what we see in the New Testament is that whenever the church was in danger of living just like the world then the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the Apostles would direct them back to how they first received Christ why because understanding how we received Christ is the key to understanding how we walk in Christ that's Colossians 2 verse 6 therefore as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him in that way walk in him you know if many of us in the church who are in Christ are not walking in Christ not walking in the victory and the power of his resurrection life overflowing with thanksgiving it could be that either we've never properly understood how we came to be in Christ how we received him or perhaps we once did know it was all by grace but have fallen away from that truth because we have let, been led away by the spirit of the world at work in the church the spirit of performance now I want to put it to you this morning that large sections of us in the church have for one reason or another fallen away from the joy and the simplicity of the gospel and I feel a burden to understand how has this happened how did we manage to so mix up the gospel with religion that to most people in Ireland today when they read the word gospel on our church signs they see the word religion even though for the first generation of the church the greatest persecution of the gospel came from the religious I want to understand how in Jesus day he attracted the pub crowd and he repelled the religious and yet we in the church today appear to do exactly the opposite but I also feel a great burden to share with people the exciting news that we're living in a day of restoration of the gospel the evidence of which is a restoration in the church of such joy and power and liberty in the spirit that people and situations that appear to you to have remained unchanged for years you're going to see change and I'm just delighted by how many people I see uh, friends I've known and people in the church 
who are undergoing a metanoia, a great transformation, a great uh, recovery of the joy and the power and the victory of being in Christ. Now, where is my evidence that this is true? Well, I have two witnesses. The first is the Holy Spirit and the second is my own soul. The second witness has been persuaded by the first. You know, I've been in a position of ministering the gospel each week in a local church for the last 24 years, with the last 16 of those being uh, the pastor in that church. And, and like yourselves, you know, I've known highs and lows over the years of experience, days of great joy, days of being inspired, and then days of great disappointment, days of being pretty disillusioned. You know, if I had to name perhaps the greatest disappointment in ministry, the thing that has confused and confounded me the most, it would be that for a long time, it seemed to me that it was quite possible for folk to settle the message of the gospel for years and remain largely unchanged, still largely self-centered, small-minded, judgmental, and fearful. And that was just the pastor. All of those traits can be summed up in one word, religious. You see, what Jesus told Nicodemus, a sincere but religious man, is still true. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. If what is constantly manifesting in the lives of people sitting under a message is flesh, that's natural thinking, worldly thinking, then the most likely reason is that the message they're sitting under is a worldly message. Now, in the modern church, when we use the word worldly, what we usually mean is secular. So we would describe sometimes various types of music as worldly, or sometimes you hear people describing the, the way people dress as worldly. So it comes as a bit of a surprise then that what the New Testament describes as worldly is actually anything religious, any thinking or action based on the principle and tradition of man-made religion, the traditions of this world. Let me put that more succinctly. The basic principle of this world is self-effort. Man-made religion any set of guidelines which purport to tell you what you need to do to get God to move on your behalf are all simply a manifestation of the spirit, the thinking, the mindset of this world. So religion is actually the most worldly of pursuits. For the idea that we can change God's mind or move God by behaving better appeals to the pride of man because it puts I first. God was good to me, brother, because I first was good for him. If we go back and read from Colossians 2.6, we can see the sharp contrast between the principle of the world and Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. And that's the elementary principle of the world, self-effort. You see, anything that is based on or birthed by the belief that man can be like God, good, apart from God, is religious or worldly. The worldly view, the worldly spirit, believes that if you are first good to God, then he will be good to you. That's the basic principle and tradition of this world. Good people deserve good, and bad people deserve bad. Now, you might be thinking by now, Phelan, what's all this got to do with Christmas? Well, you know, right now in Derry, and across Ireland, and across the nations, Christians who would abhor worldly music or worldly dress are happily making out their Christmas lists in the most worldly fashion possible. For on our lists 
are all those we want to give gifts to, and all those people are the ones we deem good enough, lovable enough to deserve our generosity. Because once again this year, our list of those we will be generous to is by and large a list of our friends and loved ones. For after all, I mean, whose Christmas list is a list of their enemies? God's is. That's called the foolish gospel, the gospel the church has forgotten. You see, a worldly view of God has him giving to those who deserve his giving and withholding from those who don't deserve his giving. For the spirit of the world says nothing's for free, God's blessings must be earned. But that is not the spirit that you and I received when we received Christ. And the Apostle Paul, on hearing that the Corinthian Christians were behaving like the world, he wrote this to them in 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. You know, later in that same letter, he challenges them again about living as if they had earned God's blessings. He wrote, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? You see, note a worldly gospel is a message about what you first need to do for God so that he would then bless you. Now Paul goes on to explain to the Corinthians in that chapter that to the natural mind, a message about a God who gives first and gives everything he has is foolishness, foolishness, and the natural mind cannot accept it. For the natural man can only imagine a God like himself, a God who only gives once you first have given to him. A worldly message says, you first, then God. If you, then God. Wow, how many times have you heard that message, that worldly message proclaimed in the church? If you, then God. If you will love him and serve him well and give to him and be good to him and be good for him, then he will come and he will bless you. That is a message for a people who were waiting for God to do something. Here's the gospel. God did something. And he didn't do it in response to your goodness. I'll say that again. This is the gospel. God did something. And he didn't do it in response to our goodness. You see, the foolish gospel says he did it at just the right time when we were powerless. Romans 5 and 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, why was that just the right time to reveal the love of God? Because religion would have you believe that God gives his love to the powerful, to those powerful enough to make their lives clean enough for him. So work hard on your holiness and be the best you can be and God will then bless with you his presence for the right time to God to meet with you is at your best, right? Wrong. And believing that has only ever given us a God made in our own image. You know, there was only ever one right time and right way to break that lie that God's love is just like men's, just as conditional. And that was for him to give us all he had, not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. He gave when our performance was at its worst to free us from a lifetime of keeping his love at arm's length till you think you deserve it. I mean, how would you feel? If your children kept refusing to receive all that you wanted to give them because they thought they first had to be worthy of your generosity. 
If you are a believer, surely you can remember that you did not receive Christ at a time when your life was a shining example of virtuous living. In the words of Paul to the Galatians, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, I guess Mary, she would have wanted Jesus to have been born in her own home, the place she would have spent months getting ready. Instead, she found herself so far from that place. Now, just like Mary, when the time came, when his time came into our lives, we too were far from a place called ready. We were so far from the place we had imagined we would be when he came. Those places in our life, when we feel the furthest from ready, are still the best places to encounter the one who never waited till we were. Ah, that's worth saying again, isn't it? Those places in our lives, those times when we feel so far from ready, they're still the best places to encounter the one who never waited until we were ready. So don't be afraid this year that all your plans have come to nothing and you feel as far from ready for God as you've ever felt. You're actually perhaps for the first time in many years, back in a place where there's just the room for him that he was looking for. You see, when God did something, he didn't do it in response to your goodness. For this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's 1 John 4.10. The gospel is not a message about our love for God, but about his love for us. Because my love for him can't change me, but his love for me, that changes everything. That is why in speaking of the gospel he preached, Paul could actually sum it up in these words. We preach Christ and him crucified. Now there is nothing about your eyes performance in that statement. And that's why to the self-centered world, Paul said that this gospel is foolishness. But you know, it pleases God to save people through such foolishness. This gospel that scandalizes the world and continues to be a stumbling block to the religious still saves men and women to the uttermost, still brings a metanoia, a transformation, still launches us on a journey of being changed as we just continue to recover the enormity of the love that he has for us, the love that met us when we weren't ready. So we've seen this morning that a worldly view of God has him giving to those who deserve his giving and withholding from those who don't deserve his giving. And that worldly view of God is summed up neatly by the world's description of Father Christmas. Remember that song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town? Listen to the words of a worldly catechism. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. That is not the gospel. But in many parts of the church, where the spirit of the world has got in, that's the worldly gospel, the religious gospel that is preached. And under such a worldly self-centered message are raised worldly self-centered Christians. For the flesh can only give birth to more flesh. Now as worldly Christians, we have received the Holy Spirit, but our minds, rather than be transformed to the mind of Christ, have been conformed to the spirit of the world. And so we walk, we live just like the world around us. We too love the good people the godly, and we can't bring ourselves to say one good thing, never mind love the bad people, the ungodly. I mean, just have a look at how so many Christians on social media ridicule and attack those whom they disagree with. 
the world looks at us and watches us and comes to this conclusion. The church is behaving just like us, and so their God must be powerless. For if he can't change them, then he can't change me. When you and I as Christians, when we the church, who have slowly been becoming more and more religious without realizing it, are suddenly awakened to the truth, suddenly brought back by the Spirit to the foolishness of how he saved us, then our eyes are open to see that not only was there nothing we ever did to earn the life of God, but in fact, all of our efforts and failures to be good enough since have not changed God's mind in us. He does not and will never regret giving us everything, for that is what love does, for that is who love is, the God who died for us when we were still sinners. You know, it's taken me some time to realize that God has given himself away to me without reservation, lock, stock, and barrel, and that he did that even when he knew that there would be seasons in my life when I would take that inheritance and squander it. And I believe when those angels at the birth of Jesus saw how God addressed himself in flesh, in humanity, they were staggered at the implications. From the day he was born, he even wore the clothes of a savior. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, which uh, was how those shepherds always wrapped male lambs born in those fields around Bethlehem that were destined to be slaughtered the Passover for the sins of the people. And that's why the angel said to the shepherds, it'll be a sign to you that you'll find the child wrapped in those cloths and laid in a manger. When the angels saw the appearance of God in human flesh on that cold, dark night, they must have known for certain, wow, it's really true. He's really giving himself to these people. He's giving himself away, lock, stock and barrel, everything he has to ungodly people. You know, I wondered, Lord, how can I describe how excited the host of heaven, the angels were that night? What was it like for them to see God appear in human flesh? What did that say to them about God? You know, the angels spoke about mega joy to all men. Was there a part of them that couldn't quite believe that this was happening, that God would give himself away to people like us? What was it like for the angels that night? You know, I remember wondering a few years ago about this and thinking, did I ever have an experience where something was happening and I just couldn't bring myself to believe it because it was so good until there came to a moment when I actually saw something that removed all doubt. You know, back in those student days in London, when I first started going out with Nicola, for a long time, I couldn't quite believe what was happening, that the most beautiful woman in the world liked me, never mind loved me. You know, and as the months went by, I began to believe that it might, maybe might just be possible that she loved me with everything she had. Could this be true, that she would overlook all my faults and give all of herself to me for better or for worse? Was this really true, that someone would love me enough to want to unite their lives with mine as one life. I wanted it to be true. But how could I know, when would I know, if this was really true? Well, there came a day, there came an hour, a moment, when I was finally convinced that this was true. It was the day of our wedding. When I stood, waiting, holding my breath, until finally I turned around and saw her walking toward me, up the aisle, dressed in white, a wedding dress. And in that moment, all doubt was gone. For in that moment, her love was so clearly demonstrated to me by her appearance in white. Her love for me was demonstrated for all the world to see by the manner in which she clothed herself. You know, if Nicola had turned up in jeans and a baggy jumper, <laughs> I may not have been as convinced. 
that she was about to go through with it. But the way she was clothed in her wedding dress convinced me that she was not there to negotiate. She was not there to, she was there to give everything she had. And when she saw me dressed as I was, she knew the same. You know, when the angels saw God dressed in flesh that night in Bethlehem, they knew what God wants each of us to discover and rediscover this Christmas, that he did not come to negotiate. He did not come to make up his mind about you or I, to give us a series of tasks to judge our suitability on. He did not come to start a religion. He came dressed. He came clothed for a union, for a marriage. When the angels saw God clothed in flesh, they knew without any doubt that he came because his heart was set on you and I, lock, stock and barrel. He came because he wanted to share his life, his all, with you and I. And whosoever would receive him would believe in his name, Saviour. He came to take everything we had onto himself, including all our sins, so that we could take everything he had onto us, all his goodness. And when a couple stand before me to get married, I don't say to the bride, what will you give this man to convince him that you're worth marrying? Rather, I say, do you take this man to be your husband? You see, God is not asking you this morning or any morning, what will you give me to convince me to be your savior? Here's the good news of the gospel. There is only one question that needs an answer. Can you see Jesus? Can you see him dressed for a union with you? Can you see God clothed in human flesh? Jesus means that God in heaven is not in the process of making up his mind about you. Can you see that Jesus coming was God's mind made up about you? Can you see that he so wanted you to know his mind in you, his love for you, that he came not when you had made yourself ready to receive him, not when you through good planning or good living had made your life a clean enough place to receive him, rather his time came in your life and in mine, not when we were at our strongest, but when we were at our weakest. And in this way, we discover and rediscover that he never expected nor wanted us to be strong enough of ourselves for him, but to discover that life as he knows life has never been of ourselves, but has always only ever been about union with him. He never asked us to produce our best life for him. Rather, he promised that we would bear his life and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, a power that is ever present in the gospel. Faith comes by hearing. I just believe as I'm speaking these words, the Spirit of God is imparting life to people. Jesus said, my words are spirits and they are life. Oh, it's as simple as that. Faith comes by hearing and we can't even take any credit for that. You know, nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul declared something about the gospel's capacity to bear fruit. And I want to close by telling you that this Christmas. For I believe that you and I and the whole church are being led back to the place where we can receive this truth. Back to the place where we can say, his time has come. For we can say that when we remember that his time has always been a time when no room has been found for all our best laid plans. So I leave you with Paul's words from Colossians 1 verse 6, which reveal how exactly this gospel is bearing fruit in our lives. And I speak these words with great confidence this Christmas, that he who began a great work in you, my friend, he is the finisher of that work, as well as the author. That's why Paul wrote these words. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing 
amongst you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. This Christmas, do not be afraid if you feel yourself far from ready for God. If you know you're far from ready, then know too that it is in such places that God delights to meet with us so that we too can truly understand and receive the grace of God. Merry Christmas.